This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter 6, Part 2 of Holidays at Roselands by Martha Finley. But Elsie did not come down again that evening, and though he saw her at the breakfast table the next morning, she slipped away so immediately after the conclusion of the meal that he had no opportunity to speak to her, and at dinner it was just the same. But in the afternoon, seeing her walk out alone, he put on his hat and followed at a little distance. She was going towards the quarter, and he presently saw her enter a cabin, where he had been told a poor old colored woman was lying ill, and perhaps on her deathbed. Very quietly he drew near the door of the hut, and seating himself on a low bench on the outside, found that he could both see and hear all that was going on, without himself being perceived, as Elsie had her back to the door, and poor old Dinah was blind. "'I have come to read to you again, Aunt Dinah,' said the little girl, in her sweet, gentle tones. "'Thank you, my young missus, you is very kind,' replied the old woman feebly. Elsie had already opened her Bible, and in the same sweet, gentle voice in which she had spoken, she now read aloud the third chapter of St. John's Gospel. When she had finished reading the sixteenth verse, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. She paused and exclaimed, Oh, Dinah, is that not beautiful? Does it not make you glad? You see it does not say whosoever is good and holy, or whosoever has not sinned, but it is whosoever believes in Jesus, the only begotten Son of God. If it was only the good, Aunt Dinah, you and I could never hope to be saved, because we are both great sinners. Not you, Miss Elsie, not you, darling, interrupted the old woman. Old Dinah is a great sinner. She knows dat well enough. But you, darling, you never did nothing bad. Yes, Dinah, said the little voice in saddened tones. I have a very wicked heart and have been a sinner all my life. But I know that Jesus died to save sinners, and that whosoever believes in him shall have eternal life. And I do believe, and I want you to believe, and then you too will be saved. Did the good Lord Jesus die for poor old Dinah, Miss Elsie? She asked eagerly. Yes, Aunt Dinah, if you will believe in him. It says, whosoever believeth. Old Dinah don't know how to believe, child. Can't do it nohow. You must ask God to teach you, Dinah, replied the little girl earnestly. For the Bible says faith, that means believing, is the gift of God. You don't mean that, Miss Elsie. You don't mean that God will save poor old Dinah and give her heaven on all for nothing, she inquired, raising herself on her elbow in her eagerness. Yes, Dinah. God says without money and without price. Can't you believe him? Suppose I should come and put a hundred dollars in your hand, saying, Here, Aunt Dinah, I give you this. You are old and sick and poor, and I know you can do nothing to earn it. But it is a free gift. Just take it, and it is yours. Wouldn't you believe me and take it? Deed I would, Miss Elsie, cause you never told nothing but the truth. Well then, can't you believe God when he says that he will save you? Can't you believe Jesus when he says, I give unto them eternal life? Yes, yes, Miss Elsie, I do believe. Read the blessed words again, darling. Elsie read the verse again, and then finished the chapter. Then closing the book, she asked softly, Shall we pray now, Aunt Dinah? Dinah gave an eager assent, 
and Elsie, kneeling down by the bedside, prayed in simple, childlike words that Jesus would reveal himself to poor old Dinah as her Savior, that the Holy Spirit would be her sanctifier and comforter, working faith in her, and thereby uniting her to Christ, that God would adopt her into his family, and be her God and portion forever, and that Jesus would be her shepherd, so that she need fear no evil, even though called to pass through the dark valley of the shadow of death. Amen, was Dinah's fervent response to each of the petitions. The good Lord bless you, darling, she said, taking Elsie's little white hand in hers and pressing it to her lips. The good Lord bless and keep you, and never let trouble come near you. You knows nothing about trouble now, for you is young and handsome and rich and good, and Massa Horace, he dotes on you. No, you don't know nothing about trouble, but old Dinah does, cause she's old and sick and full of aches and pains. Yes, Aunt Dinah, and I am very sorry for you, but remember, if you believe in Jesus, you will soon go to heaven, where you will never be sick or in pain any more. But, Dinah, the little voice grew very mournful, we cannot always know when others are in trouble, and I want you to pray for me that I may always have strength to do right. I will, darling, deed I will, said Dinah earnestly, kissing the little hand again ere she released it. As Elsie ceased speaking, Mr. Grier slipped quietly away and continued his walk. From what he had just seen and heard, he felt fully convinced that Elsie was not the wicked, disobedient child Anna had represented her to be. Yet he knew that Anna was not alone in her opinion, since it was very evident that Elsie was in disgrace with the whole family, her father especially, and that she was very unhappy. He felt his heart drawn out in sympathy for the child, and longed to be able to assist her in regaining her father's favor. Yet he knew not how to do it, for how was he to learn the facts in the case without seeming to pry into the family secrets of his kind entertainers? But there was one comfort he could do for her, what she had so earnestly asked of Dinah, and he would. As he came to this resolution, he turned about and began to retrace his steps towards the house. To his surprise and pleasure, upon turning around a thicket, he came suddenly upon Elsie herself, seated upon a bench under a tree, bending over her little Bible, which lay open on her lap, and upon which her quiet tears were dropping one by one. She did not seem aware of his presence, and yet he stood a moment gazing compassionately upon her, ere he spoke. "'My dear little girl, what is the matter?' he asked in a gentle tone, full of sympathy and kindness, seating himself by her side. Elsie started, and raising her head, hastily brushed away her tears. "'Good evening, sir,' she said, blushing painfully. "'I did not know you were here.' "'You must excuse my seeming intrusion,' replied the old gentleman, taking her hand in his. "'I came upon you unawares, not knowing you were here. But now that we have met, will you not tell me the cause of your grief?' Perhaps I may be able to assist you. No, sir, she said. You could not do anything for me, but I thank you very much for your kindness. I think, said he after a moment's pause, that I know something of your trouble. You have offended your father. Is it not so, my dear? Elsie answered only by her tears, and he went on. Laying his hand upon the Bible, Submission to parents, my dear child, he said, you know is enjoined in this blessed book. Children are here commanded to honor and obey their father and mother. It is God's command. And if you love his holy word, you will obey its precepts. Surely your father will forgive and receive you into favor, if you show yourself penitent and submissive. I love my papa very, very dearly, replied Elsie, weeping, and I do want to obey him, but he does not love Jesus, and sometimes he bids me break God's commandments, and then I cannot obey him. 
Is that it, my poor child? said her friend pityingly. Then you are right in not obeying. But be very sure that your father's commands are opposed to those of God before you refuse obedience. And be very careful to obey him in all things in which you can conscientiously do so. I do try, sir, replied Elsie meekly. Then be comforted, my dear little girl. God has surely sent you this trial for some wise and kind purpose, and in his own good time he will remove it. Only be patient and submissive. He can change your father's heart, and for that you and I will both pray. Elsie looked her thanks as they rose to return to the house, but her heart was too full for speech, and she walked silently along beside her new friend, who continued to speak words of comfort and encouragement to her until they reached the door, where he bade her good-bye saying that he was sorry he was not likely to see her again, as he must leave Roselands that afternoon, but promising not to forget her in his prayers. When Elsie reached her room, Chloe told her her father had sent word that she was to come to him as soon as she had returned from her walk, and that she would find him in his dressing-room. Chloe had taken off the little girl's hat and smoothed her hair ere she delivered the message, and with a beating heart Elsie proceeded immediately to obey it. In answer to her timid knock, her father himself opened the door. "'Mammy told me that you wanted me, Papa,' she said in a tremulous voice, and looking up timidly into his face. "'Yes, I sent for you. Come in,' he replied, and taking her by the hand, he led her forward to the armchair from which he had just risen, where he again seated himself, making her stand before him, very much like a culprit in the presence of her judge. There was a moment's pause, in which Elsie stood with her head bent down, and her eyes upon the carpet, trembling with apprehension, and not knowing what new trial might be in store for her. Then she ventured to look at her father. His face was sad and distressed, but very stern. Elsie, he began at length, speaking in slow, measured tones, I told you last evening that should you still persist in your resistance to my authority, I should feel compelled to take severe measures with you. I have now decided what those measures are to be. Henceforth, so long as you continue rebellious, you are to be banished entirely from the family circle. Your meals must be taken in your own apartment, and though I shall not reduce your fare to bread and water, it will be very plain. No sweetmeats, no luxuries of any kind. I shall also deprive you entirely of pocket money, and of all books excepting your Bible and school books, and forbid you either to pay or receive any visits, telling all who inquire for you why you cannot be seen. You are also to understand that I forbid you to enter any apartment in the house excepting your own and the schoolroom, unless by my express permission, and never go out at all, even to the garden, excepting to take your daily exercise, accompanied always and only by a servant. You are to go on with your studies as usual, but need not expect to be spoken to by any one but your teacher, as I shall request the others to hold no communication with you. This is your sentence goes into effect this very hour, but becomes null and void the moment you come to me with acknowledgments of penitence for the past and promises of implicit obedience for the future. Elsie stood like a statue, her hands clasped and her eyes fixed on the floor. She had grown very pale while her father was speaking, and there was a slight quivering of the eyelids and of the muscles of the mouth, but she showed no other sign of emotion. Did you hear me, Elsie? he said. Yes, Papa, she murmured, in a tone so low it scarcely reached his ear. Well, have you anything to say for yourself before I send you back to your room? 
he asked in a somewhat softened tone. He felt a little alarmed at the child's unnatural calmness, but it was all gone in a moment. Sinking upon her knees, she burst into a fit of passionate weeping. Oh, Papa, Papa, she sobbed, raising her streaming eyes to his face. Will you never, never love me any more? Must I never come near you or speak to you again? He was much moved. I did not say that, Elsie, he replied. I hope most sincerely that you will come to me before long with the confessions and promises I require. And then, as I have told you so often, I will take you to my heart again, as fully as ever. Will you not do it at once, and spare me the painful necessity of putting my sentence into execution? He asked, raising her gently, and drawing her to his side. Dear Papa, you know I cannot, she sobbed. Then return at once to your room. My sentence must be enforced, though it break both your heart and mine, for I will be obeyed. Go, he said, sternly putting her from him. And weeping and sobbing, feeling like a homeless, friendless outcast from society, Elsie went back to her room. The next two or three weeks were very sad and dreary ones to the poor little girl. Her father's sentence was rigidly enforced. She scarcely ever saw him, excepting at a distance. And when, once or twice, he passed her in going in or out, he neither looked at nor spoke to her. Miss Day treated her with all former severity and injustice, and no one else but the servants ever addressed her. She went out every day for an hour or two, in obedience to her father's command, but her walks and rides were sad and lonely, and during the rest of the day she felt like a prisoner, for she dared not venture even into the garden, where she had always been in the habit of passing the greater part of her leisure hours in the summer season. But debarred from all other pleasures, Elsie read her Bible more and more constantly, and with ever-increasing delight, it was more than meat and drink to her. She found there consolation under every affliction, a solace for every sorrow. Her trial was a heavy one. Her little heart often ached sadly with its intense longing for an earthly father's love and favor. Yet in the midst of it all, she was conscious of a deep, abiding peace, flowing from a sweet sense of pardon sin and a consciousness of a Savior's love. At first, Elsie feared greatly that she would not be allowed to attend church, as usual, on the Sabbath. But Mr. Dinsmore did not care to excite too much remark. And so, as Elsie had always been very regular in her attendance, to her great joy she was still permitted to go. No one spoke to her, however, or seemed to take the least notice of her. But she sat by her father's side as usual, both in the carriage and in the pew, and there was some pleasure even in that, though she scarcely dared even to lift her eyes to his face. Once during the sermon, on the third Sabbath after their last interview, she ventured to do so, and was so overcome by the sight of his pale, haggard looks that, utterly unable to control her emotion, she burst into tears and almost sobbed aloud. Elsie, he said, bending down and speaking in a stern whisper, you must control yourself and with a mighty effort she swallowed down her tears and sobs. He took no further notice of her until they were again at their own door, when, lifting her from the carriage, he took her by the hand and led her to his own room. Shutting the door, he said sternly, Elsie, what did you mean by behaving so in church? I was ashamed of you. Could not help it, Papa. Indeed, I could not, replied the little girl, again bursting into tears. What were you crying about? 
tell me at once, he said, sitting down and taking off her bonnet, while she stood trembling before him. Oh, Papa, dear, dear Papa, she cried, suddenly throwing her arms round his neck and laying her cheek to his. I love you so much that when I looked at you and saw how pale and thin you were, couldn't help crying. I do not understand nor want such love, Elsie, he said gravely, putting her from him. It is not the right kind, or it would lead you to be docile and obedient. You certainly deserve punishment for your behavior this morning, and I am much inclined to say that you shall not go to church again for some time. Please, Papa, don't say that, she replied tearfully. I will try never to do so again. Well, he replied after a moment's reflection, I shall punish you today by depriving you of your dinner, and if you repeat the offense, I shall whip you. Elsie's little face flushed crimson. I know it is an ignominious punishment, Elsie, said her father, and I feel very loath to try it with you, but I greatly fear I shall be compelled to do so before I can subdue your rebellious spirit. You will be the very last resort, however. Go now to your room. This last threat might almost be said to have given Elsie a new dread, for though his words on several former occasions had seemed to imply something of the sort, she had always put away the thought as that of something too dreadful to happen. But now he had spoken plainly, and the trial to her seemed inevitable, for she could never give the required promise, and she knew, too, that he prided himself on keeping his word to the very letter. Poor little girl. She felt very much like a martyr, in prospect of torture or the stake. For a time she was in deep distress, but she carried this trouble, like all the rest, to her Savior, and found relief many precious, comforting texts being brought to her mind. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord as the rivers of water. He turneth it whithersoever he will. My grace is sufficient for thee. As thy days, so shall thy strength be. These and others of a like import came to her remembrance in this hour of fear and dread, and assured her that her heavenly Father would either save her from that trial or give her strength to endure it and she grew calm and peaceful again. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runneth into it and is safe. End of chapter 6, part 2